So take your Bibles this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are, we are working our way through this, and so we are, um, we are getting very close to entering, to finishing uh, this rather long portion. I was made aware of something yesterday. Um, it's rather interesting when, you're, when you look at the most famous chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians is chapter 13. And, and chapter 13 is on the topic of love. And it is the most famous chapter that we know in this entire writing. But what's interesting, Paul spends three chapters and the verse of another, 11, so, so mainly three chapters, talking about our freedoms. Love is important. But, but it's interesting that love must be expressed. That, that love must, be, must have a practical application in, in how it's being worked out. And so you see in chapter, chapter uh, 8, 9, and 10 that, how that is working. And then the dangers of going too far on the extremities of both ways of either being too free or being too legalistic. And so I, I invite you this morning, if you will, to take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10. And beginning in verse 14, we'll read in just a moment you remember the apostle paul has cautioned us to beware the dangers of overconfident faith that just because you've been blessed with spiritual privileges and you've had uh, certain spiritual experiences that doesn't mean that you are exempt from sin that there is a danger in pushing your your freedoms to the extreme so there's there's a danger on one side that you go to become a legalist but there's this danger on the other side of freedoms where you become an idolater and so that's what we, we see here. Were the, were the Corinthians free to eat the meat that was offered to idols? And the answer was yes. Were they free to go to the house of an unbeliever and eat the meat that was offered to idols? The answer is yes. Were they even free to go to the pagan temple and to buy the meat that they may go home and cook it? Yes. Were they even free that if they went to, if they, if they ended up just participating, you know, that they, if they wanted to just stop and see what was going on in those temples are they free to do that yes but were they free to participate were they free to join in and become participants of pagan worship and the answer is no and so what started out as eating meat began to slowly lead them began to slowly drift into participating in pagan worship services and practices and so what started out as liberty, beloved, turned into full-blown sin and idolatry. They were now worshiping idols. And so sadly, many of us take our Christian liberties to the extreme. And so we find those things that we enjoy, those things that we have the freedom to do, and we begin to do those things, and we begin to enjoy those things, which is fine. But what happens is we begin to enjoy those things too much. We begin to love those things too much. We begin to participate in those things too much. And those things become idols. And so here we find that though there may not be nothing inherently wrong with fill in the blank, whatever your thing is, we all have different things, whatever your thing is, it may not be inherently wrong. We find, beloved, that it can become idolatry. And so I want to show you this morning from Paul's uh, chapter 10, verse 14 through 22, I want you to see the perils of sitting at two tables the perils of sitting at two tables you're going to see idolatry you're going to see two tables and then you're going to see a jealous god and so if you will look with me in chapter 10 beginning in verse 14 
Paul writes, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, and for we all partake of one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we not stronger than they are, stronger than he is? Or are we? I want you to see this morning the sin of idolatry. There is, as one author has said, there is nothing so horrible in the eyes of God and of men as idolatry, whereby men render to the creature that honor which is due only to the creator. Webster's Dictionary defines idolatry in this way, that idolatry is the worship of idols or the excessive devotion to. And I I want you to key in on that part. It is the worship of, of idols or the excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or thing. So, so, so don't miss that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 links idolatry to the issue of coveting. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, or this covetousness, which is idolatry. So, so last week we saw the four sins, these four horrible sins that our freedoms could lead us into the first one being idolatry then sexual immorality then tempting the lord and then grumbling and complaining so we see these four sins that our freedoms if not careful can lead us to now paul is going to focus in or zoom in on the issue of idolatry because that seems to be the sin of the church not to say those other sins weren't there but the issue of idolatry was there so they were giving an excessive devotion to something that they should not have been doing It's wanting something so much. It's coveting something to the degree that it becomes an idol, that you seek it more than you seek God. Remember, this started out as, I can eat the meat. Paul said, yes, you can eat the meat. The problem is you want to eat the meat more than you want to partake of the Lord's blessing, of the Lord himself. And so you seek it more than God. And so when a person, a place, or thing takes all of your emotion, your time, your energy, your money, when it takes all of your freedoms, that thing becomes an idol. It is not the, the problem is not the stone, the block of stone or the block of wood. It is, it is that which is in your heart, that which you are seeking after. You have taken a good thing and you have elevated a good thing to a place where you have now made it a sinful thing. You have made it to be greater than God in your mind. You've elevated it to the most important thing in your life, and thus you have now crossed a line. Why? Why have you crossed this line? Well, we'll we'll look more at this toward the end of the sermon, but know this, that God alone is worthy of worship. God alone is worthy of devotion. He is to be the most important thing in your life. But you have elevated something else that has robbed him of that. You, you, you are making God 
have to split time, split devotion and love and glory with this thing that you love so much. God will not tolerate this. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, this is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. You can say, I will not give my glory to fill in the blank, nor my praise to fill in the blank. And every one of us can fill in the blank with the things that we have loved too much. D.L. Moody once said, you do not have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. Let me read that again. You don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God, that is your idol. And so, beloved, you and I this morning, to become idolaters, do not have to walk out of your house to, and then go to a, a ship or to an airplane and then, and then begin this long journey across the ocean to go into this land that has not... All you need to do is walk outside your house and you will find that there are idols all over the place. You will find that idolatry is right outside your door. That it is within the community that you are living in. That there are things in this community that you love and you are devoted to more than God. Right? Church and God is second, but this, this thing in our community, it is, more, it is my greatest devotion. It is my greatest passion. You, you can go to the marketplace where you shop. And you will find the things that you yourself and materialism that you love, that you care about, that you need to get, right? Amazon is a, is a marketplace. It is the Walmart of idolatry, right? Materialism. It is. That we can go and we care more about the things that we buy. Idolatry is in our schools that we send our kids to. And we teach our children and we, we send them into these schools and, and, they are, and they are educated and they are taught to believe a certain way and that if you don't believe a certain way, if you don't do this, then you're immoral and you're wrong. If you don't agree with Pride Month, LGBTQ, if you don't agree with that, if you don't accept this, this tolerance and this progressivism in the world, then you're immoral. And that is an idolatry. That is an idol. It's in our churches you can go to the church and you can sit in a pew that has become your idol. You can come to the church where the building has become your idol. Matter of fact, beloved, if we want to be honest, we have become such idolaters that we don't even need to leave our homes. Our, our idols sit on shelves. We've got them tucked away into closets. We've got them tucked away into barns and sheds and they're, they're right that we drive. There are idols all throughout our homes. Whether it is materialism that you are coveting the more stuff, or whether it is that you are worshiping at the altar of self, or worshiping the country, the very country over God Himself, worshiping family or people, or whether you are worshiping creation. Creation can be anything that God has created. You care more about creation than you do the Creator. 
Oh, beloved, many of us have become idolaters. And God has called us, and he, he tells us here in verse 14, he says to flee from idolatry. That word means to run away. It really is the word for fugitive. I, I remember the movie that came out many years ago. It was one of the I think it was a great. I think it was like one of my dad's favorite movies. But it was, it was, you know, where the the guy who is innocent is running away from the law, right? And he, he he's innocent. He's trying to prove it. But you and I are not the innocent guy. We're, we're we're not innocent. But Paul calls us to to be like a fugitive who's running away from idolatry that is trying to ensnare us. You're running to avoid these idols, to stop giving your devotion to. And what we find is that this command is, an, is a present imperative command, meaning that you are continually to flee. This is a daily running away from idolatry. Whatever it is that you have filled in the blank with as your idol, the thing that is stealing away your devotion and your passion and love from God, you are called to daily run away from it. What does that look like? In the Old Testament, beloved, it was the issue of destroying that idol. They would burn down their Asherah poles, they would destroy their altars, they would do away with all of those things. And so that would look like for you and I, that if your iPhone and those apps and the social media is your idol and you are so addicted to that stuff, then you must throw away your iPhone. You must delete the social media accounts. If you are so addicted to your television that your television has become your idol, you are to cancel your subscriptions. You are to run away from your recreation and your sports and your hunting and your fishing. You are to run away from those things, beloved, that have stolen the devotion that was meant for God and for your own spiritual sanctification to run away from those things and stop participating in those things and instead give more devotion and time to God, whether it is in church, in prayer, in reading your Bible, or just in the fact that you think on Him more rather than all these other things. The command is very clear that Paul gives us. We are to flee from idolatry. The things that you are coveting, you need to flee from. Now, Paul now gives us two reasons why. Notice verse 15. Paul says in verse 15, he says, I speak as to wise men, right? You are intelligent men. You're men of understanding. Now judge what I say. And so what Paul is saying here is you're, you're a smart you know, group of individuals. Listen to my example. And I think you will find that, that the example and the reasons that I give are, are wise reasons. Notice first, he says, you sit at the Lord's table. Verse 16. He says, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the, the bread which we partake a, a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So Paul uses the practice of partaking of the Lord's Supper. Now the Lord's Supper, I think that most of us all pretty much know what that is, where during the worship service we, we take of the bread and we take of the, the, the wine or the juice, right? And so the bread representing the body of Christ that was given in sacrifice for us, the blood that was spilt of Christ is represented by the cup. And so we take of the bread, we take of the cup. It's a time of great rejoicing and celebrating, a time of remembrance of what Christ has done for us. It is a command that we are, that we are to partake of this regularly and it is an expression of our faith in Christ but how does this give reason for us to be careful of our liberties that lead us into idolatry well notice that he says that by eating the bread and drinking the cup we share in the body and the blood of Christ his sacrifice 
Now, th- this is one of those things that you may never fully understand, uh, but, there, but, but it is true that, that the Bible says that He is the vine and we are the branches and we are one in Christ and the Lord's Supper. Is, there is a supernatural element there. Not that the bread becomes the actual flesh of God, but that God is present with us and He uses these symbols as a way to nourish our faith and to encourage and strengthen us. That God is with us. And so we are sharing at the Lord's table. It is, a, it is a picture that we are one in Christ. We are partaking of the same bread. Christ is the bread. Christ is the cup. And we, all of us, the many are taking and we are putting in our body that nourishes us. But it's also looking forward to one day that we will actually sit with Christ and have this type of fellowship with Him. The word share means that we have something in common with God. That we are in partnership. We are joined to Him. Well, who are we joined to? What are we joined to that is expressed in the Lord's Supper? And it is Christ. We are joined to his life, his death, and his resurrection. We've become one with Christ, and now we have this spiritual relationship with him and with God. Where before our sins separated us from God. Our sins condemned us to an eternal damnation. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. But now in Christ, through the goodness of Christ, through His perfect life, His death on the cross, and His resurrection from the grave, beloved, we are now able to be one with Christ. We are able to have relationship with Christ. We are able to have victory in Christ. We share in all of those things that Christ has gained. No longer does my sins have to separate me from God. I can now have fellowship with Him. And the Lord's Supper is an expression of that relationship. His death was our death. His life has become our life. His resurrection has become my resurrection. And so before I go any further, let me say this. If you are unsaved this morning, you are an unbeliever, and you are not sitting at the table of the Lord, if you are not at that, have that fellowship which is expressed through this sitting at the table and partaking of the bread and the cup. Hear me this morning. Come to Christ. Come to Christ this morning. He has died and given His life that you would have a seat at the best table in the house. That you can come sit at His table. Admit your sinfulness. Believe upon Christ as your only hope this morning. Believe upon Him as the Savior. Pray to Him this morning. And ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Ask Him to cleanse you. And to renew you. And to redeem you this morning. That you may now have the privilege of sitting at the table. That you may now have the fellowship that you have never had with Christ. That your sins would be washed and you would be forgiven. Come this morning and do that. Man, we invite you this morning to come and repent of your sins. Now, but secondly, notice this, what Paul is saying. For the, un, for the, for the believer, what he is saying is, is that idolatry is forsaking the gospel. In 2 Kings 22, verse 17, he says, that, he says idolatry is forsaking me. God says, idolatry is forsaking me, your God, for these other gods. Beloved Christ, I find salvation and fellowship. I find commitment. I, I, I find life in Christ. I find a community. I find hope. But when I forsake Him for a block of stone or a, an event, a community event or a thing on my iPhone, I find the complete opposite. Because those things can't give you salvation. And you're devoting yourself to something that cannot save you. 
Those things can give you no relationship. Idols cannot give you fulfillment and spiritual fulfillment. And you are left in the same position that you were where you began. Where you are left alone. You have no relationship with God. There's no relationship with idols. There's no community. It's a false fellowship with nothing to sustain the, the bond of brothers and sisters. It will fall apart. And there is no hope because we are left in our eternal damnation. A Christian coveting something more than God is inconsistent with his or her salvation. And it's foolish because you have already been given the best seat in the house through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And you gave it up or, you are, or you're going from that seat to spend some time at the other seat. Rather than Christ, devoting yourself to Christ, Beloved, idolatry is no different than you being at a table with someone who has prepared a great meal for you and you saying, I'm going to get up and go to that table over there. I'll come back, but I want to spend some time over here. It is inconsistent with the gospel and it is foolish. But secondly, Paul gives another reason this morning. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, he says, look at the nation of Israel. Are, they, are not those who eat the sacrifice of sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in, with demons. So, so notice this. This is interesting. Paul is once again going back, if you remember, to the example he gave in the previous verses. Remember, he gave us the example of idolatry in last week's sermon, if you remember, the issue of the, of the creating of the golden calf and how they ate, drank, and played. Paul is going back to that, to where the golden calf was constructed. And so he's saying, some differ on this, some say there in verse 18, he says they're eating of the sacrifices in the temple and all that, that were sacrificed to the Lord. Others say that he's talking about they were partaking of the sacrifices on that day. It really doesn't matter because it has the same point. What he's saying is that those of Israel did partake of the sacrifice, the Passover, when they came out of Egypt. They did. But now at the golden calf, what are they doing? They're partaking of meat and drink that has been offered to a golden cow. Now, Paul says, is the golden cow even real? No, what, it's not. There, there, there's no pagan god there. But he says that there is a demon. Paul says there were demons that were present, but they're unseen. Where, where are these demons? Well, first, let's answer this question. Who or what are demons? Well, according to Revelations 12, 9, they are followers of Satan. They are his servants. According to 1 Peter 5, 8, Ephesians 6, 12, demons seek to devour. They seek to destroy because their master Satan wants to destroy us. They seek to be a plague upon us. They steal the worship of God. Deuteronomy 32, 17, they sacrifice to demons that were no gods. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, verse 4, we find that they deceive people. They come, they come disguised as, as light. That they may deceive people thinking that they are righteous. And so thus, demons are bad news. It's the reason why we, we have them pictured as in horror movies and they are bad news. So why would anyone sit at a table with a demon? Why would anyone ever want to go and share with demons? Well, have you ever heard of the term catfishing? 
And no, not the literal fishing of the catfish. All right, some of you are really good catfishers, all right? That's not what I mean. There is another term, another definition for this. Catfishing has become known as a way of deception. It is a term that describes deceptive activity where a person creates a fictional persona or a fake identity on the internet that they may target a specific victim. They may rob them or embarrass them. For example, those emails that we all get where a rich individual emails you from a different country and they tell you that, that they're about to die or they're really good people and they want to share their, their millions and their billions of dollars with you, but all you need to do is give them your bank account and social security numbers. <laughs> yeah, right? That's catfishing. Or how about this one? Social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, Instagram, they go and they create a, a profile where they have pictures of a guy or a girl. They normally try to make them look very attractive. They give them all kinds of information, where they work, where they're from, what they like, their hobbies. But that person really doesn't exist. That person is fake. They're not real. That's not really who they are. They've used a picture from somebody else, gave it another name, another information. But though the profile is fake and it is not real, there is a man or a woman on the keyboard on the other side. And they use this fake profile to deceive others. This is what's happening, beloved, when you begin to worship idols. What lurks behind the idolatry is a demon. The gods of the Corinthians that they sacrificed to the meat to, they were fake. But behind the curtain was a demon that was luring the Corinthians, that were luring people to give worship and devotion to who? To their master, Satan. And thus, when you begin to become an idolater, you begin to partner up with and become a sharer with demons. Because you're doing exactly what Satan himself did in heaven who decided that he would not give God the devotion and the glory that he rightly deserved and began to take it upon himself. And the demons followed suit by not giving God the glory and devotion he deserved, and they gave it to Satan. Thus you become a sharer with demons. You are dining with demons. You are eating with demons. Because you covet something that is not God. And here's the worst part of it. You don't even know it. You don't even realize it. Matter of fact, you are more willing to argue that what you're doing is right and you have biblical grounds for doing it. You think it's righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 and verse 15. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Demons are, are good, beloved, disguising themselves and uh, disguising their idolatry so that not only do you believe it's not sinful, but it is God's will for your life to do this. So we have these examples where maybe an example would be that there is something that you love to do. There's something that you enjoy doing, you devote yourself to doing, and you reason it this way. I know that I'm missing church, but this is really good for my children. 
I know that I'm missing church and not spending time in prayer or reading the Bible, but this is really good for me. I need to do this because it brings me pleasure. It's going to make me famous. It's going to bring more money into my home. It's going to make my children successful. It's going to be so good for us, and God is so loving and good, and God wants these things for my life. So I'm going to split my devotion from God daily. I'll give God Sunday and Wednesday, but daily my devotion from God, I will split it with this other thing. And I'll call it good. And I'll call it righteous. I'll call it God's will for my life. It's a demon, beloved. You have listened and heard the voice of the demon. It has called you. You were craving it already. He just told you it was okay. And you gave in. We see it in religion all the time. People who come and we have, they have unbiblical views, unbiblical doctrines. But they say we believe in Jesus. And so what do we do? Well, they believe in Jesus. But, but, they don't, but, but these doctrines are unbiblical. This not, but, but they believe in Jesus. And if we all believe in Jesus, we're all going to go to heaven, right? He disguises himself as, as, as an angel of light. And so what happens is we begin to listen to preachers and read books and we begin to participate in services with individuals who say they believe in Jesus, but, they're, but biblically, they, they're unbiblical in all that they do except for the fact they believe in Jesus and we call it good and right and okay. And it's a demon who has disguised himself in righteousness and drawn people away from the gospel of Christ. They tell us that our works will save us. They tell us that these sins are okay. They tell us that things that, that even though God said or that we're not to do, but it's okay because God is loving. It's a demon. And what happens is, beloved, we go and sit at the table with them. Well, there are things that appear good and right, but behind the curtain there lurks a demon that leads us into idolatry and away from giving God the glory and the love and the devotion that he has called you to give him. It's not right, FBC. It's not right. Some of you in here, you have made excuses. You have made excuse after excuse after excuse for doing the things that you have freedom to do, but doing them so much, you have taken it and risen it to a point that it is greater than God. And you argue and you reason that it's okay because you've been lied to. You've been lied to. Pull back the curtain and see what's there. God would never, God would never tell you to give your passion and your, all your freedoms and all your loves and all your things to something else that is not him. He would never be, it, there's not legalism here. This is not saying you can't do things, but you can never be more devoted to something other than God. And this is what's happened. And so now Paul gives us the third and the final reason of why this is not good. Look at verse 21. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Are we? 
Beloved, what he means is you can't continue to sit at both tables. You cannot come into the church on Sunday and sit at the service on Sunday and take of the bread and the wine on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday you're devoted to fill in the blank. And then on Sunday you're all of a sudden devoted to God again. Because I go on Sunday and I sit at the table and I partake of this, therefore I'm expressing my faith. But, but what you find is you're eating, drinking, and being merry and playing all the rest of the week. It's the same thing that Israel did. And he is saying to you and I, he is saying to the Christians, this is a dangerous game that you must not play. Now understand that he's not describing someone who just randomly goes to a pagan service. He's not describing someone who eats this meat in their home. He's not describing someone who eats the meat in somebody else's home. What he is describing is is an individual who on a regular basis has become sharers with an idolatrous worship service who has given devotion daily to these other things. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one or he will love the other. Or he'll be devoted to one and he'll despise the other. Exodus, 30, Exodus 20, verse 3 and 4 says, You shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus, like Paul, wants you to know, beloved, this morning, that there is no room in our lives for, to be idolaters. There is no room in our lives to be worshipers of idols and God. God will not stand for it. He cannot, you cannot be lukewarm. You cannot walk both in light and darkness in your choosing here. You cannot sit at both tables and continue to call yourself a faithful, devoted follower of Christ when you are more devoted to the materialistic things of this world or fill in the blank. You are free, but you are not free to worship something else. You are not free to covet something greater than your coveting, than coveting and loving the Lord. But why? Why? What's wrong with giving myself to these things? What's, what's wrong because God is loving and God is forgiving and surely he wants me to enjoy my life? And Paul answers the question. He says, we, he says to do this will provoke God to jealousy. It means to stir him to anger. And he says, you're not stronger than God. We see this over and over in the Old Testament. God always wins when, when, the, when his people become idolaters. His anger is stirred against us. In Deuteronomy 2.24, it says that he is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Ezekiel 36.18, therefore I poured out my wrath on them because they had defiled it with their idols. So this is what happens when we begin to eat at both tables. He lets you eat at the other table. And he lets you reap the consequences and the judgment of it. How do we know this? Romans 1, and I don't have time to, to read all of this, but I want you just to see, just, just Romans 1, verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness, and men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which they have known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, for they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They traded, in verse 23, they exchanged the glory of God for creation, for, for animals, for, for things of this world. He says, he says, they exchanged their devotion, their glory of God for all the things of this world rather than being devoted and being passionate about God. 
And what does he do? Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to their impurities. He says that three, if not four times in the next several verses, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. They worshiped at the table of demons, and God said, go sit at the table. And have your fill of the food there. And what they found was it was poison, and it brought about their destruction. By reaping, they reaped destruction at the table of idolatry. There's no salvation, there's no relationship, there's no community. Beloved, there is no hope for anyone there at those, at those tables. There's no salvation because, there are, there, because there's nothing there to truly save you. There's no, there's no relationship because there is no God. You're still in your loneliness and despair. There's no community because you're with Satan and his demons. That's your community. And there's no hope because only hell awaits. God gives, he judges by giving us what we want. And some of you thought that America was just now being judged. God began his judgment on America long ago because we were feasting at the table of idolatry and God gave us over to it. And we are now reaping the poison, the destruction of that which we have been consuming all this time. America is reaping the wrath of God churches are reaping the wrath of god because god gave them what they wanted they wanted something other than him so he gave them that and guess what happened to those churches they died they no longer are there and next year there will be thousand more churches that will no longer be there and the year after that there will be thousands of churches that are no longer there god gave us what we wanted in covid we wanted to go home and sit at our own tables in our own houses and worship through the tv screen and god gave us what we wanted right god gave us what we wanted because we would rather sit at the table of idolatry and demons and self than be in the house of the Lord worshiping God. He gives people over to their idolatry. They begin to attend church less. They begin to pray less. They begin to read their Bibles less. And they begin to give themselves more and more into the fill in the blank. And all of a sudden, that becomes their identity. That becomes who they are. God gave them over to that, and that is his judgment. And to the point we never see them again. Because they wanted a table where God was not present. But we go to the Lord's Supper and we say everything is okay. What is the answer to this, beloved? What is the antidote to turning away from God? It is Christ. Listen to this. Turn from your idols. How? He says, for the, Lord, for the sword of his wrath that had been aimed at you has now been sheathed into the heart of his son. The jealousy, the anger of God that was aimed at you has now been placed in Christ. He says the arrows of his anger that have been, that, that, that have been put against your breast were fired into the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he died for you, you were forgiven. FBC, hear me this morning that we have been given the command and, and we've been given reasons this morning why we are to turn and flee from idolatry. The ball is now in your court this morning. What are you going to do? 
You've been given the reasons of why we cannot be idol worshipers, why we cannot worship these things. So what will you do? And the answer is, is that you will flee from idolatry and you will run to Christ. Stop sitting at the table of idolatry and then running to the Lord's Supper just so you can prove yourself to be a Christian. Stay at the Lord's table and be devoted. Flee to God in prayer this morning. Some of you need to flee to God in prayer and you need to ask for help uh, that you would worship Him alone and be more devoted. You need to flee to another church member to ask for accountability this morning. Ask your, your brethren to come and help you. You need to flee physically by avoiding and destroying the things that are in your life that are stealing away and robbing you of your devotion and loyalty to God. You need to stop doing those things and put them in the trash can. And for some of us, it's literally putting it in a literal trash can. Flee to the church where you go to give God His worship. Flee to the church where He is present and away from the presence of the idols. And you have to flee, beloved, to the altar this morning in repentance of our sin, of idolatry. Run and flee to the one who has given us Christ and gave us a seat at the table. Come and sit at the table of Christ daily. Let's pray.